0: Where the Whiteboards Are, a podcast by educators about all things education.
1: I think we all come into teaching for different reasons. However, I think the one constant with all teachers is that we want to make a difference. We want people to achieve great things, find success in their lives, and leave our classrooms better than when they first arrived. And we're going to discuss that today. I think we all have. Unique stories about what inspired us to, to join this career. Why did we get started in education?
2: Um, so I've always wanted to be a teacher, right? Uh, briefly in third grade, I thought I wanted to be a Marine biologist, but then I realized that that didn't mean I got to play with dolphins all day. And instead I would have to do science, which I hate. Um, I appreciate all it's done for me, but I don't like spending time with it. Um, so I got started in education, because this is part that I think is annoying. Um, I think the world should be better than it is now. And I think the people who can make it better are the people who are younger now and going to be older in the future. And so I really wanted to make sure that I was contributing to that by empowering people to be effective communicators.
3: In the future. So a literal children are our future.
2: Yeah, I know. That's why I don't like talking about it because it's super cheesy. Um, I mean,
1: is what it is. I bet we all have that like tomorrow component or like the future component. Like Mm -hmm. I would think, but maybe not.
2: Which seems kind of like pleasant, right? But also I feel like basically what that admits is I don't think there's any current hope. (laughs) So we really have to invest in
1: future hope. I think it says something about our generation or. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: We are planting the seeds. So that's my like big overview of personal motivation.
1: So I'll deviate a little bit from that. But but I think that's still there for me, like Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I don't think I have it like directly for like communication, like subject content, but yeah, you know, I had some teachers that really impacted me and I think on some level, like I wanted to be able to, to, to do that, uh, to impact somebody. And then out, like outside of high school and like college, like when everybody's graduate, like most of my friends were teachers mm-hmm. and I was still very much involved in and around education stuff, like leadership, student council. So I eventually just was like, I, I need to do this because everybody in my circle is doing this. Peer pressure. As well. But I also like I saw the connection that they had with their students and I really wanted that. But I also like it tied back to the impact that teachers made on me.
0: Well, and I come from kind of a similar background where my mom started as a para. And so I grew up with somebody that was in education from the time that I was in preschool. Um, She was at the elementary school that I was at um, until obviously I, you know, moved on from elementary school. Um, And so that really positively impacted my decision to do education because I saw that connection that she had with students with special needs. And so I think that really influenced me to be an educator.
3: Man. I just feel like your guys' answers are way better than mine. Good. I just, yeah. yeah but, I mean, <laughs> we kind of figured that
1: much. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: now I, uh, I became an educator um, literally only because I wanted to keep doing band. Like, literally, that's the thought that I had. I was a simpleton in high school. Well, I still am. But. <laughs> no. <laughs> my, uh, my senior year, it was like the end of marching band season. And I remember it was like one of our last morning rehearsals. And I realized it was one of my last morning rehearsals and I just like stood at the edge of the field and I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to stop. Like I want to, I want to keep doing band. And so then I asked my band director, I was like, Hey, what do I do? And he, and he was like, well, you, you can go to this school and you join this fraternity. And then like you you do your stuff and you become a band director. And I was like, sounds good to me. And then I just kind of went blindly into it. Not really thinking like, Oh, I'm going into education. It was more of a oh, I'm doing bands. Like I'm, I'm just going to be a musician and, you know, getting a degree in performance doesn't actually make any sense because that's a piece of paper that says you can play your instrument. It's like, you can, you can either play your instrument or not. And education seemed like a really, you know, I hate to say it this way, but like a, like a safe, like a safe option in order to be able to be a professional musician. And I didn't want to go into the military. I was, you know, raised in a pretty military family. Um, three out of my four parents were like in the military at some point. And uh, I just wanted to do something different, but
1: still keep music at the like vocal point of it all. Um, I can definitely understand that. I think there's some of that in, in my story as well. Like the, the whole like leadership thing. Like I never wanted to stop doing leadership and student council. Uh-huh. And I don't know that I did like uh, through my early twenties, like I was still involved in the state association and still leadership stuff. And the nonprofit organizations that I started working with in high school, like I wanted to continue like doing that and giving back. And I don't know why it took me so long to be like, well, I could just do this every day on some <laughs> level by being a teacher. Um, but, yeah, I, I totally get that sentiment.
2: Well, and I do think it's worth pointing out we are all secondary educators. And I think that love and passion of content, like you, you need that really to be successful at the secondary level because you're not just teaching fundamental skills like you are at an elementary level where it's like hey we're going to give you a basis and everything so like loving music or loving leadership if you don't if you if you don't have any care about that it just makes it a lot harder that's
3: true and to be fair like since becoming an educator like these other things that you guys talked about do resonate with me and i'm like oh yeah i do have an effect on like the future generation and oh i would like to see a better world and you know, like helping community or developing community, that kind of thing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But as far as my initial story of becoming an educator, it was just like, well, that's one way to play my trumpet some more, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Once you got into teaching, do you feel like you, like that goal of like making a difference or like sticking, do you feel like you were able to achieve that? Or is it something you still chase?
0: I think it's something I'm still constantly chasing. I mean, I've been teaching for nine years, so I do have a little bit of, okay, the people that I taught nine years ago are now adults and are in the world. Um, But there's still this sense of like, I haven't, you know, created the next president or the next poet laureate or, you know, I think there's a part of me that wants to inspire the future, but in a more impactful way. Like I want that future person to be the next Bill Gates to be the next, um, something incredible. And I don't know yet if that's happened. Um, I think nine years maybe is too soon yet to know. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at. I still think I'm striving for that.
3: I mean, that also just feels like such an ambiguous. Right. concept. <laughs> it's like, like what is better? Like what does tomorrow look like? And how, you know, how, how am I, supposed to empower people to confront things that I don't even know what they're about to confront. So it's that, you know, the idea of chasing that idea uh, just can only ever be a chase. I don't know that anybody ever can arrive.
1: At I did. I, I hit my goal and I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm <laughs> <out>. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's really
2: hard because I think there are so many practical barriers to what is ultimately a very like theoretical goal. Like a better future is a very vague concept, kind of like you were saying, like what is better, right? And especially like right now with pandemic teaching, I feel like there's so much focus on just basic needs, like even at a secondary level, where it's just like, just trying to meet your basic needs as a person that it's hard to say like, Oh, I feel like I've really empowered you to do more in your future because there's so much just like treading water almost and just like trying to keep your head up. So I don't know. Maybe like two years ago, I would have felt differently about the answer to the question. Right now,
3: it's kind of like a drearier. Well, I think the kids recognize that too. Like they see all the adults trying to be like, oh, get to their basic emotional needs and like the education comes second. And like the kids see that and there isn't like a focus. They no longer have like a drive to like do well in school instead, like they, you know, whether they're aware of it or not, they're picking up on, no, my emotional needs come first. And well, emotionally, I need this, that, the other. And I think that's part of like some of the uh, behavior shifts. I know we've talked about it before that we've seen, like in student bodies is just the fact that societally we have, you know, in a way we've tacitly admitted that the education is not important to us. Instead, the daily uh, the, the daycare that school more or less has become is what's important to us. So the parents can get back to work. We need the parents to go to work and the, what we do at school. Yeah. Okay. As long as you're not like hurting my kid, that's fine. But the parents need to get to work. And that's, you know, I think doing them a disservice, given all the opportunities that education should provide them. And it just, you know, I back to the original question, why we went into education. It's easy for me to be like, Well, I still get to play my trumpet every day, just like do music every day. Like I wanted to. And so like getting back to my, you know, original motivation to be in education, there it is. But, you know, for your ideas of like, well, to help the future and to that, I mean, I feel like this would be way more soul crushing if my entire motivation in being in education was tied to exactly what's being torn down or undermined or whatever you want to call it. I don't mean to be doom and gloom here or to make you like feel bad about like your reasons for going into education. Do
0: you feel like that's also why so many educators are leaving is because they're no longer feeling that inspire, like that they are an inspiration to students because they can't.
3: I think it's a fair assumption,
0: you that's know, like at some
3: point, point, could they,
0: can they really say, Hey, I have impacted and inspired this student when we are just like you said, treading water. Mm-hmm. I mean, every day it's, Are your emotional needs being met? You know, we're in a pandemic. There's people that are sick. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of sort of crazy things happening that I don't know if passion and inspiration are in the classroom at all anymore. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Not to get like super basic in terms of teaching and education, but, you know, with Maslow's hierarchy, right? Those social emotional things kind of come secondary to the very basics. Yeah. Right. Like safety. Right. Isn't that. The base Right. And, you know, some of that's in question whether, regardless of how you view the pandemic, like there's a sense of question whether, regardless of how you view the pandemic, a sense of not knowing what what's coming. You know, are we going to have to do a vaccine or we gonna have to wear a mask? Are we going to be in school? Are we not going to be in school? And I think that uncertainty uh-huh. really affects social, emotional. But I don't know. I, I feel like students may not realize the stressors that they have. I mean, when I was a teenager, I didn't really have any yeah. I, concept of very many things. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if you want to get
2: like super dark and heavy on this potential first episode, <laughs> <laughs> talking about like inherent needs to safety like being a teacher in the united states it's a very valid question like do you as an adult feel safe at school do sure. students feel safe at school right. and there's like a bunch of like dark levels of safety right but there's like obviously gun violence mm-hmm. in the united states which is very real and then there's also just like do i feel safe around my peers am i part of like who knows um any variety of minority group in which case i feel like targeted isolated so there's a lot of like safety violation on the regular that I think happens. Um, that is definitely felt like in the day-to-day school building.
1: So uh, let me ask you this. It just kind of popped in my head. Like, have you ever been threatened? Not directly.
2: I've been called some pretty heinous names, like to my face. By like, students, parents, yes.
1: both? Uh
2: by students.
1: Okay. Specifically.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say there have been incidences where I've felt Potentially unsafe with a student in my room. Oh, yes. Not so much maybe that they would attack me Mm -hmm. physically, um, but being around other students. I think that there is this heightened awareness that kids could have a weapon at school. Kids could, you know, bring things that they're not supposed to at school. I mean... We just, right before, you know, mm-hmm. winter break, mm-hmm. had a huge issue with that. Oh, really? A TikTok challenge. Oh, right,
1: right, okay. Yeah. Um, which
0: was a national yeah. sort of event yeah. that occurred. And, I mean, I think it did bring up awareness to the fact that, you know, kids are young adults, especially the ones that we are dealing with that make very adult decisions, whether they are ready for them or not.
3: I would say they're not equipped to make those decisions. You but know, they think they're talking about like bringing things like safety at school, bringing things you're not supposed to, like teaching in a rural school district, it's not uncommon for the kids to have like a knife like oh, in their pocket. Yeah. And like administration doesn't like actually
1: care because that's just the culture of this sure, community. Like right. that's just how it is. And it, be, it becomes a battle that's not worth fighting because that's all you would fight. Right. And, but like, cause then you're
3: just going headstrong against a cultural like identity essentially. Sure. But there was a weird moment at the beginning of the year for me this year where a student said some absolutely heinous things about the homosexual community, like absolutely heinous things. And I like bared down on him because I'm not going to tolerate that in the classroom. And like shortly after that, he had his knife out of his pocket and was like, Mr. Strands, can I uh, like, do you have a screwdriver? I need to tighten this up. And he was basically just flashing his knife at me. And I was like, so when you feel threatened this is what you do. You know, talking about being emotionally equipped to make these like adult decisions that they're like, it's not even their fault, right? Just access to the internet, like puts them in these situations where they have to deal with adult situations and adult consequences and things like that. And they're not equipped to handle it. And so, you know, I guess I wasn't directly threatened by it, but at the same time, it's like, why, why is your knife out? Like, normally this isn't a problem. And I've asked students for their knives because I don't carry a knife on me because it's a Freaking school.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But
3: but I've needed a knife in the classroom for something, because band director life. And I've been like, hey, give me your knife. And they let me use their knife really quick. And it's like not actually an issue normally, but until it becomes
1: one, right? Until it becomes an issue. yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, and I've been in the middle, like thinking about challenges, I guess, to my own safety. Like I've put myself in the middle of student fights before. And that's not even like a conscious decision. It's like, hey, two people who I'm supposed to be in charge of are fighting over there. Like, it's, you know, your fight or flight response. Right. And like, now I'm just in the middle of the situation that I'm not really equipped to handle, nor should I be in the center of. But also like the situation shouldn't be happening. So you just like, need
0: an adult adult. I do. I think like,
2: sometimes that's how I feel a less, little
0: bit like, am I the adult in this room <laughs> right now? <laughs> well, am, how yeah. did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> that
1: was a strange transition as a teacher where like, I felt like for a number of years, I just felt like I was a rookie. And then one day I'm like, oh, people are looking at me like I know what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I guess
1: I better start acting like it, even though like imposter syndrome, like mm. oh, so many oh, things, yeah. like, that's a real thing. Even mm. as a teacher, like, where you're like, oh, my gosh, I have to be the one that responds in this situation. And do I am I equipped to, to do this?
0: Well, and we're in the most unique situation. The simple fact that as soon as we leave college, we're in charge of 30 plus people in a room by ourselves. How that's old that's were you
1: old when you when you started teaching? Twenty four.
0: Twenty two. You're older than me, right? Oh, wait. Twenty three.
2: Yeah. so Twenty three. I was, like, was Twenty two.
1: I was, 20, I was 28, so I, I kind of came into it late, which I feel like is a good thing for yes, me personally. Yes. Like, I, I would have really struggled. Like, I was not a mature 21, 22-year-old. Mm-hmm. Like
2: You might have been, though, if you were put in charge of, uh, of a yeah, room Yeah,
1: right, right. Like. I'm glad <laughs> I wasn't there. <though.
2: laughs> <laughs> well, and I even think back
0: to when I was 23, and, you know, this is still... Me right out of college, making that big kid teacher paycheck again, you know. (laughs) And
2: and I look back at that and I'm like, whoa, I was such a bad teacher. I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, really? I think I was my best teacher, like that first two years of teaching. On your toes. Yeah, and I had so much like... I'm going to put in the time to do, you're not tired right. yet. You yeah. know, like, yeah, I, think,
0: I think I was good in that regard, but I don't know if I was ready for the social emotional aspect of teaching. Like I still felt a little bit like, oh, I'm your friend. Let me, let me, let's powwow about this
2: as opposed to now I'm your boss, which
0: sure. is really weird.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, like as a 22 year old, I was teaching juniors and seniors, essentially exclusively. Like that's, those were my classes that I was in charge of. So I'm like four years
3: older than right. you, but the authority figure that in one, your life. <laughs> that is one thing I'm realizing is over time, I've gotten much better about being like, this is what I'm here to talk about. Like, I'm not here to buddy pal with you. I'm not here to hash out your emotional life at home, oh. which so many kids want to do with me. Yes. Like, ah, it's, uh, I hope you had a good weekend. Anyway, some music, right? <laughs> and like, I'm much better at, at saying like, this is what I'm here to do. I'm not here to be your babysitter. I'm not here to be your parent. I'm not here to do anything except I'm supposed to teach you about these subjects that I'm assigned to teach you. You know, at least in an ideal world, that's what I would have to do. But again, like all these other demands that are
1: being placed on teachers to compensate
3: for what they're not getting outside of school.
1: You know, starting in special education at a high school level, at a small school district, I came in with a, I would say kind of a progressive mindset of like what students with disabilities should be doing and i really struggled um with pushback from certain teachers and community and parents and definitely students about you know what special education was and my mindset and then and still is is like like if you have a, a legitimate disability things don't come easy right like we're gonna have to mitigate those so we're gonna have to work really hard it doesn't mean working less it means probably working more which isn't fun for anybody and that man that was those were really tough tough years at the beginning just because i was fighting a culture of like oh you know we're gonna do the minimum and just kind of get the grade get out of here get the credit mm-hmm. one of our former colleagues that we taught with who taught art you know, I kind of told her I'm like year three, that's the magic year. That's when things kind of fall into place. But those first three years were, man, mm-hmm. they were really, really rough. And and maybe part of it is that it was special education. And in some of that, like you're dealing with more than just content, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by the na- nature of uh, the type of class, you know, you're looking at what comes after high school and talking about social skills on top of everything else that we're trying to teach and it, you know, switching to regular education, it was so, it was a little shocking like to see the difference and um, the way parents handled kids and learning and whatnot. It, you know, I don't know. Like I think there parents with special education students from my experience, they were maybe more open and willing to, to listen to what I had to say then as a regular education te- teacher i definitely struggled with you know my kids don't need to learn this kind of stuff more i don't know
2: well and that's i think so you have content background in math amanda and i have content background in english which are like two subjects that essentially the country has decided like we really need to prioritize our students skills in these areas but it is a weird experience where sort of like on average i would say people don't want to prioritize those things Like, I probably could not count for you how many times, even just as an English teacher, I've had students complain about math and say they don't need to learn math. Like, what is it good for? I'm not going to do anything. And their parents tell them math is useless and like it's not good for anything. And so like when we talk about initial um, inspirations to get into teaching, like I specifically chose to teach English because I think communication is like the most fundamental part of being a human. Right. But then like. People don't want to take on the challenge of being an effective communicator. And like, you know, you're trying to read a book in class, but really I'm supposed to accommodate the fact that you don't read. Like you as a 14 year old have decided you don't read. Reading's not important. Nobody in your life has ever encouraged you to read other than your teachers. But like on a fundamental parental level, nobody's encouraging you to read. Um, And then you just won't ever. And now we're supposed to like work around that to convince you to secretly like get into reading because it's good for your brain. So it's kind of a weird, like the idea of this is the the why for doing things, but there are so many barriers to the why.
3: It's that conflict of authority. That's what it turns into, like the authority of the teacher versus the authority of the parent. And I don't just mean like in telling the kid what to do, but in like what are the priorities? Like what do you need to be able to do to be successful? And the parents have managed to get by without reading or without doing advanced math or you know, applying schools that you learn or pl- applying skills that you learn in school. And so they're convinced that you don't need any of that because right. they don't see the merit of how, like how you could use those skills to get ahead. Right. I don't know what you're getting ahead of, right. but to like to use them to benefit yourself right. as you operate in That's, life.
1: I'm, you know, you bring that up and I had this conversation yesterday with a former student. Um, I'll give him a shout out, Darren.
2: Oh, uh, we, right we love Darren. Yeah. Yes, <laughs>
1: Darren is a engineering student at the university of Missouri in Columbia. And we were talking about like that exact subject in terms of like, we're kind of watering down or lowering the standards. And, and he brought up a really good point. Like it, in terms of like math and STEM, like, doesn't it, at some point become like national security. Like if, if we're not producing individuals that can do higher level thinking, let alone like science, technology, you know, all, all that math stuff (laughs) to keep it simple. Like not only do we like fall behind in so many areas, but national security, he was able to give me some insight into like in his world, he struggles to talk to like even his family about what he does because it's so foreign mm-hmm. to like the community that he grew up in. And mm-hmm. just it's it's very interesting like that. That definitely hits home with what you all said about yeah. that.
0: Well, if you have a society that can't do something, they, right. somebody else will do it. And I think oh, right. that that's yeah. the fear is. You know there are other countries that far exceed us in STEM. Uh, no, we'll,
2: we're perfect. I mean, and,
0: but I <laughs> mean, <did> I, <laughs> I mean, I think I think that that's a real possibility. Is hey, if we can't do it, somebody in another country will.
1: Maybe I should address this. Like, it, I think it presents a bigger question. Like, how do you measure success? Like, for parents who say, "Well, I you know I didn't need algebra one to be successful." why does my student need it? And then I always felt bad because I probably made a spot judgment on that individual's, you know, life and success. Like, I don't, are we, are we asking enough of our next generation? Like what, I guess what is success to them? Like, is, You know, I, I'm really trying to hold my tongue here
0: being on TikTok, How did you not know this? No.
1: I mean, going by the professed
3: values of what we see, like, regardless of whatever argument you want to have about it, professed values is, is how much money are you making?
2: Oh yeah. You you mentioned before, like, uh,
3: the next Bill Gates or the next great something. And like, I don't necessarily think that Bill Gates is like that hot of a shot, you know? I mean, besides the fact that he's made so much money in his life. Okay, cool. Great. Awesome. Sweet for what, himself? Like, I know that there's the Gates Foundation and stuff like that, but Hmm. there's plenty of things that surround that as well. And I mean, that's a whole other can of worms. You know what I mean? But like that's, in in a way, that's how we've decided to measure our success: is is What job do you have and how much are you making at that
1: job? And I would agree with you, but it's just weird, like in, in this small rural community, no one is making I shouldn't say no one. Very like, few. Well,
2: some people. I very, but
1: you know the the median income is extremely low, yes. if, if not poverty level. That they're not, you know, their success can't be measured in household income. So what you know, where's the where's the disconnect?
2: Well, and this is I don't know. I think this is like the fundamental issue of education. Period. Right. Like, we know that you need education to break cycles, generational cycles. So whether it's a generational cycle of making poverty level income. um, But like to do that, someone has to admit that they can improve. And so if all we do is tell you that you're like good enough and perfect and it's okay and like this way is the best way and, you know patriotism is the best way. And like, there is no room
3: for improvement. Then now you have to convince them that they've been wrong. Yes. Like in, in essence, yeah, like you, they have to admit that they've been wrong and there might be better out there. It and
2: requires like, like vulnerable, vulnerability.
3: Okay. And if I'm like 50 like or that. 60 years old, the last thing I want to do is admit that the last 40 years of my life since graduating high school, I've been wrong about something, especially whenever you've attached so much of your identity to that, like ideology or like not, not just ideology, but like so much of your identity is attached to what you've been doing. And then for that to suddenly, like somebody's trying to tell me that that's wrong or mm-hmm. that there's something better. It's, it's not like, enough. I, I don't think it's necessarily that they've done something wrong. It's just that there is better out.
0: Right. Well, and as educators, I think our goal is to, I mean, we've heard, hear this all the time. It's to foster them to want to learn more and that fostering them to want to learn more, like you said, is kind of a disconnect for them because they view money as success. So -hmm. then, okay, well, I've got my money. I don't need to learn anything more. I've got my money, whatever way that is, whether that is, I only needed, you know, pre-algebra to get my money. Okay. That's fine. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, I want to learn more. And if you ask any educator, they're always learning more. Right. And that's, very different than I think parents or our students, you know, perceive the world. I don't think they go out there to seek more knowledge
2: necessarily.
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting that we all come from different backgrounds, you know, and we all ended up in education and we have some common threads about why we got into it and maybe why we stuck with it. <laughs> so <far. laughs> Yeah. You know, it, yeah. I, it's, it's an interesting journey, um, through education and, and to see the successes and some unfortunate failures.
3: I definitely feel like there's future conversations to be had about like measuring success Mm -hmm. and like getting into that, you know, (laughs) like, I think, I think we've, we like touched on it here, but definitely in a future episode, I would want to discuss like more in depth like what does that mean in right. education what yeah does it that's
1: say? that's good stuff yeah oh,
2: can i throw out something that's important to me in case this is actually our first episode Right.
3: keep
0: <laughs>
1: <say> <laughs>
2: what i'm a realist um i would just like to say and um, that i think and maybe you would agree um we work in a time where it's really easy to kind of despair and, like, be negative about things. And if you would be happening to listen to this, I just would like to end on some, like, element of of positivity where, like, I don't know. If you're my former student, I don't want you to think that I hated every single moment I spent with you or, you know, like, something like that. Like I do. And some of you, who knows? But just her talk. students. <laughs> okay. So, um, I don't know. I, I think if this is our first episode about why we got into education, um, having some of that, like. Uh, there is value in the work is like a good note to keep whether it's enough value up for debate right but like (laughs) there is still value in the work
0: and i genuinely can say in education even though this year's insane um i did switch schools this year um and i am happier and have more time to myself than I've ever had in my educational career. Um, and that has brought just a, a lot of happiness, too. I think that's something else that a future episode can be about that balance. How do you find that balance? And I think I'm on the right track to finding that balance. I think a big thing is saying no.
1: Man, that's something I wish I would have learned. No. <laughs> um, I, think no, just, I think it's important. Yeah. yeah, I think it should be in you know the pre-service curriculum, you know, and tr- trying to find that balance.
2: Also, future episode discussing pre-service curriculum. <laughs> there you
1: go. Yes. There
2: you go. Can we, listener, please view this as a trailer for your future listening journey.
1: How little we knew before <laughs> student teaching right uh-huh. like, you just throw him in there right and that's man talk about a common thread who's ever like day one teaching i know what i'm doing <laughs> I, know. I, know. I am gonna be good
0: and, and if you started like that that meant you were really bad <laughs> yeah sorry
1: listener Don't do Don't do yeah.
0: you were terrible <laughs>
2: Thank you for listening to us as we explored why all of us got into education in the first place. I hope that if we convinced you of anything, it is that teachers ultimately have the best intentions at heart when they enter the classroom. Working day-to-day in the classroom can be a complicated job. It requires lots of demands. So join us next time as we talk about some of the supports teachers need to be successful.
1: If you have any questions or comments for us, you can reach us at WTWA at 277media.com. Thanks for listening to Where the Whiteboards Are.
0: The opinions expressed in our podcast are that of the individuals and do not represent the opinions of their employers, school districts, or communities in which they work.